1: Hello and welcome back to Bah Humbug, the Christmas movies podcast that just wants to find a genie granting unlimited wishes under our tree, if that would be okay, please and thank you. Hello everybody, my name is Helen O'Hara, I am your host and we are back today uh, talking about the film genie yes no big surprise there this is the new film on sky cinema uh written by richard curtis directed by sam boyd and it's uh is kind of a remake of richard curtis's earlier film bernard and the genie but updated taken to feature length and now starring papa esiado and melissa mccarthy so with me to talk about it today i'm delighted to be joined by a friend by a film journalist ollie richards how are you doing ollie
2: I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you doing?
1: I'm very well, thank you. I'm very excited to talk about this film because I feel like there's a lot to get into. Before you and I start talking, however, I do want to play an an interview that I did recently with the film's director, Sam Boyd, um, just getting into a little bit more of the nitty-gritty, as it were, it's not a very nitty-gritty film, but into the nitty-gritty of Genie. Um, So please enjoy this interview with Sam Boyd, which, full disclosure... As always on Bah Humbug, does include some spoilers for the film. So if you're dying to know nothing about it and go in totally fresh, maybe watch it and come back to us afterwards. Otherwise, enjoy Sam Boyd. Hi Sam, nice to meet you virtually. Welcome to Bah Humbug. Congratulations on on Jeannie. I was looking you up online today and I found out that your Instagram name is about a Boyd. So... (laughs) presumably it's fair to say that you are you are a fan of a classic well-made character-led
0: comedy definitely yeah and yeah that's been my i forgot that that's my instagram handle uh that's (laughs) hilarious um but yeah i mean uh, you know that's a movie i love and and that was produced by working title and you know they produced this movie and Mm -hmm. you know almost every richard movie and and honestly like a staggering number of my favorite movies uh but yeah including about a boy and 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 yeah i've always loved the sort of sturdy commercial really appealing but also kind of grounded and emotional and 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 uninsulting character comedy you know and and uh whether that's you know a lot of these amazing working title movies and richard movies or you know cameron crowe movies or james l brooks movies or uh any any number of filmmakers that i look up to um you know that was always the sweet spot for me is the sort of you know it's funny but it's it's grounded and 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 there's poignance to it and and uh it was really fun to to make this movie and 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 uh, take a crack at that myself.
1: I mean, first of all, like I should ask, like how did it how did it kind of come to you? How did you get involved?
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I you know, so I made a show called Love Life that um, I think is on Netflix. It's on iPlayer in the in in in, in the UK, um, and I believe on Netflix. both seasons are on Netflix. If anyone if anyone is is curious or hasn't seen it, and, you know, and that show is quite a bit different from from Genie, but also. You know not so different in, in 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 other ways and and basically that was something you know that i created i wrote it and and you know directed um you know a good amount of it and uh there's no genies there uh there's a little bit of christmas uh in one of the episodes but um but you know largely that was me thinking about you know movies like before sunrise and 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 annie hall and when harry met sally and just kind of trying to make You know my version of a of a sort of contemporary grounded sort of character driven romantic comedy, and then you know I had kind of finished the second season of the show and and was kind of doing the rounds making meeting you know taking meetings with people and uh, and I got a meeting at at Working Title I had a couple meetings with one of their executives. Um, and at the end of the second meeting, she, you know, she said, oh, well, there, you know, there is this other thing we're trying to put together. And it was written by Richard Curtis and, and, you know, and obviously that was super exciting and she sent me the script and I read it and and I loved it. And, you know, and basically I. Wasn't crazy, so I was. I wasn't like you know. Oh my God! Obviously, they're gonna want me to direct this. You know, uh, I had never directed a studio movie before. This is my first, and 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 so I was just honestly. I started just being like, maybe I could just meet him. Hopefully, I can just meet him. And then, amazingly, you know, Richard saw Love Life and and really responded to it, and and decided that you know I was the right person to direct this movie. And he wrote me a really nice note, and we got to talking. And you know, I think what was cool about it, I, I think what he saw, if I had to guess, is is that you know, obviously this movie is called Genie. It's a Christmas movie. It's a big sort of family-friendly, all ages, you know, commercial movie, you know, and and Love Life is maybe a little sadder or a little <laughs> more low-key or something. A little something. more
1: grown up maybe, yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, but I think ultimately, like, we would kind of joke like, you know, it is kind of like Love Life with a genie in or something, you know I mean? It, in, in certain ways, it was like, I think he wanted me to make it because he knew that, for the movie to work as well as it could, you needed to believe the characters. Believe this guy Bernard, that Papa do plays, and and his kind of situation with his family, and and his kind of you know moment in life where he's taking you know his his wife for granted and his kid for granted, and 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 his priorities are kind of out of whack. That that kind of had to feel as as uh, grounded as you know some of the stuff I was trying with Love Life. And that if it was kind of all goofy and then there's the genie and the genie's goofy, it would just be kind it just kind of wouldn't matter that much. And I know, yeah. you know, that's one of the things that's really important to Richard is as funny and as charming and as kind of light as his movies are, as cozy and watchable as they are, you know, it's really important to him that it feels like the, the, the challenges the characters are facing and the dramatic situations that they're in, that that stuff matters to an audience and that there's a real investment there. Mm-hmm. Um, You know so really it was sort of me that was kind of the experiment that was kind of fun what you know i think i jokingly when i was trying to get the job referred to it you know i said you know you sort of go in and and pitch your take you know how you see it and 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 i think the line i used was um, elf meets kramer versus kramer which was obviously (laughs) like a obviously like a slightly provocative uh you know comp um but you know but that's really what it was it was sort of like what if you took this kind of Believable uh, character-driven thing, and then kind of grafted this big, fun sort of, st- you know, studio thing on top of it. This this kind yeah. of magical, magical uh, fairy tale on top of it.
1: That's an amazing, amazing comparison. I absolutely love that. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, I mean, I I really did buy into that that side of it. I think partly because Papa is such a likable actor. Just yeah. in practically everything I've seen him in, he's he's just got this kind of just big heart to him he, he really comes across as likable but also i mean you you buy that you buy that someone could with the best will in the world with all the best of intentions completely lose track of what's important at that moment and and sort of do get swept up in
0: this stuff so it
1: it feels very very grounded
0: yeah no and you know and i think really the key to that is papa you know he's he's so talented and and you know and that was part of the the idea in casting from the beginning was obviously you know Melissa's so funny everyone knows and loves how funny she is you know but she's also an incredible dramatic actress Mm -hmm. and you know Papa is someone who's like you know straight from the like the Royal Shakespeare Company and literally like literally playing Hamlet you know and but also is hilarious and and Mm -hmm. and and so to me it was this kind of yin and yang where you know that balance was really important I wanted Mm -hmm. it to be a thing where it, it's sort of like you know, a hilarious person who can really act and a, a, a serious, proper actor who also is very funny, you know and yeah. and and that if it kind of tilted in one of those two directions or the other too far, that that balance would feel kind of odd. and 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 so, yeah, I think the fact that you know pa- Papa is this kind of incredible stage actor and has such a such a such an amazing sense of his craft was was really a big part for me of 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 trying to make the movie work.
1: Mm. I, I love the fact that I mean a lot of the movie is really a two-hander with the two of them. There there's a lot of scenes that are that, you know, it it has to be good between them because they are the core and the and the spine of the movie.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And I think, you know, we always talked about the movie as a buddy comedy and and obviously the key to any buddy comedy is is exactly what you're saying, which is that chemistry and <laughs> and and um you know and so, yeah, so, you know, Pop and Melissa loved each other. They were so good together. And, and you know, and that's the kind of thing, I mean, it's always, you know, it's the same with Love Life every, you know, and I, I kind of made it hard for myself where it's like, okay, each season has its own lead, but then each episode has its own love interest. And then, you know, it's just so many more opportunities to get the casting a little bit wrong or something, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's, a, <laughs> it's, a, it's an uphill battle that I created for myself. Uh, but we got really lucky there, too. And that's, you know, it's always... You know, the, it's it's almost a cliche. It's been said so much, but I think it's really true. Is just you know almost the whole job for a certain kind of movie. You know, and like you said, a, a movie that is you know about people and character driven and and performance driven. The casting is is almost everything.
1: Yeah. So t- 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 tell me about Melissa because she's maybe not what people picture when they picture a genie.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think you know another thing from the beginning was sort of going okay. You know, obviously, everybody has you know the genie from Aladdin, and I dream of genie. And you know, it's such a sort of well-worn story—the three wishes and everything. And obviously, what Richard wanted to do, um, and what we all set out to do together, was to kind of modernize it and to flip things in funny and surprising ways to 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 make it feel fresh and make it feel like okay, you know, you may you may think you've seen this story a billion times, but we're kind of approaching it a little bit differently here. And Mm And you know, and I think for me, again, just going back to the buddy comedy of it all, um, you know, having Bernard be this sort of classic sort of, you know, Richard Curtis protagonist who's who's maybe at the beginning like sweet and well-meaning, but but kind of kind of kind of whatever, you know, a little a little a little bit of a fuddy duddy or a little bit of a like, you know, oh gosh, he's he's neurotic and he's kind of Making mistakes and and we need to see him you know fix his own life and he's a little bit of a you know he's got to loosen his tie so to speak. Um, I think it was really important and obviously the you know the genie in Aladdin is a, is a is an obvious precedent for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know to have the genie be this kind of force of nature, this kind of larger than life tornado of a character, you know, made real sense in terms of trying to create contrast between the the two characters and and. You know, and for me, Melissa, you know, having it be a woman, having it be just like a totally kind of unique spin where we were honestly thinking as much about a character like Mary Poppins or something as mm-hmm. we were about, you know, the genie from Aladdin or, or any genie. It was just sort of like, how do we make this feel a little more unexpected? And what's the, you know, what's the version of this movie that people think they're going to see? And how can we flip that on its head a little bit?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it is unexpected, but I thought I thought her sort of almost kind of Celtic backstory as an Irish person myself was really <laughs> was really kind of fun. Um, and and she is she is great in it as well. I think like that just it is that balance that she has between comedy and dramatic roles. and the, And there is a real pathos here to having been stuck in a box for 2000 years and then suddenly escape. You know, she gets there's quite a lot for both of them to do. So thank you. Um, tell me as well. I mean, like this is obviously based by Richard on his own Bernard and the Genie in, in what, 1991, which I believe was also the yeah. year Papa was born, which is crazy. Right. Um But uh, but yeah, it, it's fascinating. I watched I watched your film, then I went and watched Bernard and the Genie, then I watched yeah. your film again. And it's it's amazing to me that there are some jokes that are pretty much the same. The same, the yeah. same because they work really well. And then yeah. there, are, I mean, the but the whole storyline is so much deeper and broader right. in this film, and it feels like it's really like amped up a level. So, you know, did you did you go back and watch that? Did you did you kind of try and avoid it as as far as possible while you were making the
0: movie? No, I mean, I've definitely seen the original, and I love it, and and have a lot of respect for it, and and you know, and especially that cast that's so incredible, yeah. um, you know, and I think obviously casting Alan Cumming um, in the new one. Uh, as Papa's boss, which is the kind of character that, you know, Bernard's boss, the character played by Rowan Atkinson in the original with Helen with Cumming having, having played uh, having played Bernard in the first place. You know, that was a sort of Easter egg, obviously, a nod to mm-hmm. the original movie. And, and uh, we actually tried, we almost, um, we, we were hoping to get Lenny Henry to, to uh-huh. play um, Papa's dad, Bernard's dad, uh, but uh, sadly the, the dates didn't work. Uh, Quite so. um, Anyone who's missing him, I'm sorry. We we tried because he's 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 incredible too. But uh, but yeah. So you know, it was definitely important to me to have a couple nods to the original movie, and 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 you know, and I love it. But but you know, but also yeah, I I I would say uh, once I saw it, I really tried to just think about our script and our cast, and 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 how I would make the movie. I think you know the same way an actor who's in a play is probably not you know watching. Footage of you know other actors playing the same part because they kind of want to keep that stuff out of their head and just and just stay true to their own compass. So you know it was a kind of combination. Obviously, again, an, an awareness and a, and a respect for the original, but but an excitement and a desire to kind of bring it into 2023 and 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 run with it in the ways that made sense to me and to Richard and Melissa and 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 Papa in, in this day and age.
1: And, I mean, did did Alan have any kind of words of encouragement or you know reminiscing yeah. when he got there?
0: I mean it was very sweet actually he he posted a thing on instagram the other day that was really sweet that was sort of like i you know i think he especially when we were on set he you could definitely sense that he was sort of i think touched moved by the kind of full circle nature of it you know obviously that you know i mean that was one of his first things he ever starred in if not the first thing um and you know it was one of the first things richard ever wrote and it's you know yeah 30 years ago now almost 30 uh more wow, 32 yeah, 32, 32 years ago and and yeah I mean it's funny because it's you know I know you were saying that you know Papa pop and I are the same age so we both both basically you know both of us uh, are as old as the original movie and but I think that was good and fun and I think you know Alan was touched by that I think all of a sudden he's like oh wow now I'm the boss and here's this kid who's you know Directing it, you know, God knows who he is. And here's Papa, this amazing actor, and he's as old as the movie we were in. And, you know, there, there's something kind of poignant about that that was really important to me to 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 bring out. And, and yeah, Alan posted a sweet thing on Instagram essentially saying all this the other day, yeah. where it was just like, you know, this was a this was a blast. And it's crazy that Papa's as old as the original movie. <laughs>
1: Uh, it's uh it's it's really very sweet but it's lovely to to have him in it as well so i mean this is obviously a christmas movie podcast so of course tell me about the level of Christmassiness that you were going for in this movie because it's not you haven't gone kind of full you know elf maybe it's not it's not fully conf- you know focused on christmas all the time right um but equally that is that is kind of a a sort of an element that's a big element in the story at the same time so and you were shooting i think was it march you guys were yeah we shot in
0: march and you know yeah i mean i think it's funny because it's like elf obviously they had the benefit of like the whole prologue of the movie takes place at the at the north pole at the actual North Pole. Um, Yeah. yeah so it's sort of like hard to get more christmassy than that for sure um and we were kind of working within the parameters of just you know just the new york bit um and yeah we you know yeah we shot in march um uh, you know, it was at least actually winter still, which was good. So we didn't have to pretend to be cold or anything and and uh, shoot around too many green trees. Um, but, you know, I think for me, you know, it was a funny thing. You know, this is like a little inside baseball or whatever, but if you have a Christmas movie podcast, it's maybe not uninteresting. You know, I think one of the things is me and the production designer and the cinematographer did a lot of research of like really how Christmassy does a Christmas movie have to be Mm -hmm. You know, and how much of it is just your brain is told, oh, it's Christmas. And because, you know, you get into all these kind of things. And I think especially these days, like, it's a funny thing where you go, oh, in New York, it actually doesn't even snow at Christmas in real life. You know what I mean? It doesn't really. I mean, maybe if you're lucky, but it kind of doesn't. And there's decorations and whatever, but you know, and it's funny, you go back and watch Love Actually and you go, like, is there, how much snow is on the ground really? How much are we outside? How much is the decoration? You know, and how much of it is, again, just your brain being told it's a Christmas movie. Now, that being said, uh, while every time we went back, there was always kind of less Christmas in the movies than we thought or remembered, um, we still wanted to kind of push it as far as we could, obviously. So, everything from snow on the ground even though as i said it maybe wouldn't even be there in real life uh if it was christmas to the fact that you know obviously there's all these b-roll shots throughout the movie where it really was christmas in new york and we went around you know at at actual christmas kind of a few months before we shot the movie itself and got as much b-roll as we could so that it would be kind of bespoke and and in the you know in the sort of style of our movie um to fill out the world and to kind of uh, really sell New York at Christmas time and you know and then even something like the scene where they're talking about Jesus and they're in front of the tree at Rockefeller Center we kind of use you know some movie magic to like make that happen because obviously that wasn't up in March anymore but then yeah I mean something like you know we shot in March the the Santa's grotto scene you know and it's March but you know they, they built this the production designers the art department built this whole gorgeous huge Santa's grotto set that You know new york everyone's jaded and stuff so they just walk by it and they don't care but but it was kind of funny to be on 57th and 5th literally right outside where in home alone 2 he's like gets his pizza and whatever and it's to me something that i kind of iconically associate with christmas and yeah we had to you know take over a whole square block of of the city and 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 build this thing out um but yeah it was sort of you know i think it was really important to try to push that i think modern audiences kind of need more of that than maybe you know, people used to think they had to give in a, in a movie like that. And, and we kind of tried to fill it, you know, even even the soundtrack, it's like so much of it was finding the balance of does every song have to be a Christmas song and whatever, you know, we found a balance that I'm really happy with mm-hmm. where it's, you know, a number of Christmas songs that 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 are cool and some that aren't that just fit the scene or whatever. Um, but yeah,
1: it, it, I did want to ask you about the soundtrack because it's a great soundtrack and Thank in particular, you. the track over the credits. Thank you. Made me very happy indeed. I thought Good. that, I don't, I don't know if I should, like it's almost spoiling it for people, but that was, that was- The, the, o- the opening one or
0: the ending one, you
1: mean? The end credits. Oh yeah, sure. was really fun. Yeah, <laughs> Which is,
0: by the way, then that's not even a Christmas song. But again, obviously, no. as you know, it's, you know, pertinent uh, to the story. And yeah, it was just really fun to figure that out. You know, I think that was a real collaboration between Richard and myself. And, you know, the music's really important to me. I always love um, figuring out the needle drops and stuff. Um, and you know, and I think especially with Christmas songs, where everybody's heard the same ones over and over again. And as much as I love Christmas, it's like I, I I wasn't like, oh, let's hear like Jingle Bell Rock again, or just whatever <laughs> the you know whatever. There's ones yeah. that are that are great, but it's like the 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 same five songs, you know. Yeah. And so it was really fun to try to how do we give audiences that feeling and the kind of coziness of that, but also. Where they go, hey, I don't know that song actually. That's cool. And it, but it still gives you the feeling. You know, there's a sort of it, it was it's funny because there was a I would sort of joke like there were certain songs that I as like a music nerd would be like, Oh, it's actually a Christmas song. And then I would play it for my wife or something. She'd be like, I know, but it doesn't feel like Christmas. Like I don't care that like the guy says Christmas in the third verse or whatever, you know. And yeah. it's and it's sort of like I would refer to them as the like die Hard is a Christmas movie of Christmas songs, you know, which yeah, is essentially absolutely. like is essentially like, oh, you can like be a nerd and like mansplain that, like, technically, uh, you know, this is this Ramon song is actually about Christmas. But you know, if you play it, it doesn't give people that feeling. So it's, um, it was more about, again, really walking that line finding songs like the Otis Redding song, or like the song at the beginning of this guy, this guy, Solomon Burke, where it's like, oh, you know, these are a little deeper cuts, but they still give you that kind of classic cozy feeling.
1: Absolutely. Okay, I've got two questions that I ask everybody on this podcast. Yes. So first of all, we've we've kind of touched on it already, but what is your favorite Christmas movie? What is the Christmas movie that you have to watch every year, um, if there is one?
0: Yeah. No, there definitely is. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of obvious ones that are everyone's, uh, and and again, movies that I thought about for this movie, you know, particularly Elf uh, and and Home Alone Two, which I just love the kind of New Yorkiness of it and the and the the setting and the way they use the city. Um, I will say, you know, obviously this movie is a family-friendly movie. It's for kids. It's for parents and grandparents and everyone. My favorite Christmas movies are a little more adult. So, you know, I love, uh, you know, Bad Santa is a movie that I think is really hilarious, Super. but also very, very sweet. And and then there's a movie that I kind of, it's kind of perverse that this was my family's Christmas movie, but I, uh, my, I grew up watching, this should tell you about, Uh, a little bit about the house I grew up in Um, a movie called The Ref uh, which is like a really crazy almost like a David Mamet like acerbic like makes bad Santa look like it's a wonderful life and and it's still pretty amazing. It, It still holds up. So I would say The Ref is a fun one for anyone that wants like a little a little arsenic in the cookies so to speak love, but um sure yeah. Yeah. yeah but but Amazing. you know but i love obviously all the kind of just you know cozy fluffy ones too and and uh but yeah i think especially having spent a year making a christmas movie for me it's a little it's a little more fun to watch the to watch the the slightly naughtier ones <laughs>
1: that that makes a lot of sense you you've you've earned some time off i guess <laughs> just finally this is the other question i ask everybody is there a christmas tradition you have that christmas it hasn't happened unless you do it, and it may be a food that you have to eat or a particular decoration that has to be out, anything like that that you have yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, I think Christmas. there's
0: there's so many things that that I love about that time of year, and you know, to me, the first it's the first thing is is the sort of decoration of the Christmas cookies, which I always feel like uh, sets things off, and and then you know, there's a sort of sweet tradition that actually with my wife's family. Um, you know we do this thing where kind of every each person in the family gets to kind of host an activity uh over the few days that everyone's together for christmas so for instance you know i'm sure this won't surprise you i pick a movie for everyone to watch and <laughs> we watch it together and then i become extremely nerdy and make like fake tickets for everyone and there's like movie theater candy and i make like a pre-show as if we're like at the prince charles or something and there's like trail, you know, other Christmas trailers and stuff like that. And that becomes a whole fun thing. And then, you know, my mother-in-law hosts like a family pickleball tournament or whatever. And I, uh, you know, or there was like a, this is not very Christmassy, but it was quite fun and, and, and obviously promoted family togetherness, but again, in a, not a, not a kid friendly way, but you know, like a family, like tequila tasting or whatever, something like that, but just, you know, anything that kind of promotes and fosters, uh, togetherness, but yeah, I don't know that that's, that's something that, is 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 more late breaking in my life with my wife's family but that i thought was really sweet was just the sort of uh the roulette of everyone uh getting to pick a pick an activity
1: that's a, that is a great tradition i feel like a lot of people are going to be following that example <laughs> well listen sam boyd thank you so much and uh, best of luck launching genie into the world i think it's gonna i think it's gonna be added to people's list of christmas classics so thanks a lot
0: thank you so much i really appreciate it
1: Hello, I'm Hannah Flint from The First Film Club, a film podcast series dedicated to established and emerging talent, both in front of and behind the camera, and the feature debuts that launch their careers. From the new drama Mass to the cult classic Headless, each episode is dedicated to a film, a guest, and the behind-the-scenes stories, memories, and advice from their time on set. Find us, The First Film Club, wherever you listen to your stripped media podcast. Come join the club. All right. So cards on the table. What did you think of Genie, Ollie?
2: Well, it started very well for me because it had two things I tremendously enjoy in Christmas movies, which is one is set in New York. Yes. Which I think is, I mean, it's the best location. Mm -hmm. Give me a a stone line with a Christmas hat on. I'm anybody's. And it had a parent who is too connected to their job and just wishes they weren't.
1: Just, just missing out me. on their child's life, you know. Exactly,
2: they're just trying to do their best. They've got horrible boss who keeps making them do awful things, uh, and then it really went downhill for me. Sadly, I just thought it did this setup. Like Melissa McCarthy, I'm on, I'm on board. I mean, mm. she is as far as I'm concerned. She's the she's the queen of the aeroplane film. <laughs> you know, anything she's in, you watch it on an aeroplane, you'll be very happy. But I thought after it did, it set up that she was the genie and he'd found her and she was she was going to help him become the good dad he wanted to be and had lost track of it just kind of went nowhere it didn't seem to know what to do with the idea like it's like it's got this big scene of her discovering music and just dancing mm-hmm. which wasn't very funny and then it's got that but i thought the low point was when it had the scene with his family and his in-laws where they were all kind of it was supposed to be this big joke of, of all the weird wishes that people would make but they were so boring i thought it was really odd i was when i sat down to watch it i didn't know that richard curtis had written it mm-hmm. and i was really surprised when i looked that up.
1: oh really so it didn't feel yeah. curtis- curtisian
2: no no it felt like a very pale imitation of richard curtis to me what did you
1: think well i did enjoy it i think I mean, you, we're grading on the scale always for, for Christmas films, I think. So I, I maybe i am a little bit more forgiving of stuff than I would mm-hmm. be most of the year. And I agree with you, New York Christmas movies, like instantly you're giving yourself a head start, especially when it seems actually shot in New York, at least partly, yeah. you know, that, that makes a big difference because I, I have seen a lot of those kind of hallmarky Christmas movies where in theory it's New York, but it looks an awful lot van- like Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, so so, but this one definitely New York definitely had that energy to it and I really enjoyed that I really like um, I agree with you on Melissa McCarthy I think always a good plane movie and, and the criteria for a plane movie we should be clear with people it's not the same as a great movie at ground level is it
2: you no, don't no. actually
1: you don't actually want to watch Killers of the Flower Moon on a plane
2: no, absolutely not. No, it needs to be... It's ideally a comedy, although an action movie can work, but it needs to be something that requires very little attention and is ideally a bit too long. Like, if you get a comedy that's <laughs> like two hours 20, that's perfect for playing because it's going to Pass a lot of time but yeah melissa mccarthy makes a lot of she's terrific i'm not saying she's only in bad things she's been in a lot of very good things but she's made a reasonable amount of comedies that aren't necessarily great but they have a certain level of charm Mm -hmm. and on an airplane i think you can really forgive that because you're being distracted by all sorts of other things
1: and what I felt about this some of her comedy performances sometimes I feel like she, I mean she she pushes it she iterates she improv- improvs on set she comes up with new ways of doing things you see some of these in the outtakes of some of her films you know and sometimes when what you see on screen is a is it feels like it's gone a bit too far even something like spy which I love some bits I find a bit Tiresome, and I feel like okay. If if she'd actually reined it in by like ten percent, I think I'd be enjoying this scene more than I am. And what I appreciated about this film is that I thought Sam did a good job of kind of wrangling her and having her work at that sort of ninety percent mania level, if you like. You know, so she is meant to be this quite larger than life character. In the original version of this film, we should say so. This was originally a one-hour BBC film. I think BBC. Not ITV, I think BBC, uh, from 1991, coincidentally, also the year that Papi Esiedu was born. Oh, that's upsetting. And I know, very, <laughs> very upsetting. And actually, Alan Cumming, who plays the evil boss in this, was Bernard in the original. Um, and he, and so in 1991, that this one hour film, uh, Alan Cumming is Bernard. He is also, you know, working the antiques business. He also has an awful boss, played at that point by Rowan Atkinson. Uh, But the genie is Lenny Henry in full flow, Mm -hmm. you know, really, really loud, really big performance. Um, I think they were hoping that Lenny Henry would be available to play uh, Bernard's dad in that family scene that you mentioned. And sadly, the timing didn't work out. But, um, But that, you know, that really was a huge, slightly unhinged performance. And I think it actually works better to have the genie be a little bit more restrained here, a little bit more reined in. Um, She's still very fun. She's still very colourful. She's still very, you know, loud and outrageous at times, but she's not kind of full on jumping up and down kind of crazy at times, which, which occasionally Lenny Henry tended a little bit towards, although I actually really enjoyed him in Bernard and the Genie as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't, ha- I don't really, I didn't really, I don't mean, I have no problem with her and Papa Ercedu. Uh, uh, I thought they were, I thought they were a lovely combination. I thought they worked quite well together. I think I have no problems with their performances. It was just that they weren't given the lines, and I agree with you. I do, you, you do grade on a on a kinder curve for Christmas movies. Yeah. I mean, I suppose there's sort of an argument of how Christmassy is this Christmas movie, really.
1: Well, that's something I'd like to talk about because I feel like this is of a piece with another Christmas film, quote unquote Christmas film, that I considered for inclusion on this podcast this year. Now, I don't know if you've watched it yet because we haven't talked about this, Ollie, but The Family Switch came out on Netflix last week. And that is a kind of body swap comedy where the two parents who are played by Ed Helms and Jennifer Garner swap bodies with their teenage children Meanwhile, by the way, their baby swaps bodies with the dog. I don't think the film does enough with that, but that happens as well. And so all of these people have to... It just so happens that basically on Christmas Eve, all of these people have either the big game, the big interview, the big job meeting or the big audition of their lives and suddenly they all have to do it in the wrong bodies. Wouldn't you know it? But it felt like a film that had no reason to exist at Christmas per se... There wasn't actually a countdown to Christmas. The the magic in that film that transforms them and moves them around bodies isn't Christmas magic. It's not an elf or an angel or whatever. It's just uh, something to do with a, a planetary alignment and Rita Moreno reading tarot cards. Not very clear. But this one feels a little bit similar. Genies are not a Christmas thing. That's not something that we associate suddenly with the holidays. And it doesn't have to be at Christmas.
2: No. I mean, I'm okay with that. I should go back extremely on board with the film you just described love a body swap the the curve I'm grading on on that one is way 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 kinder so definitely watching that um I don't really mind if a Christmassy film doesn't necessarily have anything to do with Christmas like mm-hmm. I, I mean I'm okay with just some twinkly lights in the background that's fine I also sometimes it's just a feel like I would consider Wonka essentially it feels like a Christmas film because it's all a bit Dickensian and there's snow everywhere for no reason. But it's got nothing to do with Christmas, but it's got the mood. And I'm okay okay with that. Absolutely okay with that.
1: I will be discussing that on a future episode of Bar Humbug, because, spoiler, we are going to cover Wonka. Um, And it's for exactly the reasons you just mentioned, but we're going to put that to one side for now, because there's a whole episode on that. But yes, I, I agree. And I think in this case the background does help give you a sense of maybe what Bernard is missing out on when he's missing out on his family. And there is a little bit of that, you know, the, the traditional reason that fil- the filmmakers use Christmas is to give you a countdown. Everything has yes. to be all right by Christmas, okay? And in this case, it does feel like there's a, a, at least an element of that. He He wants to get his wife and daughter back, but he particularly would like to do it, if possible, thank you very much, by Christmas, He would like to give them that Christmas experience and sort of maybe uh, re- reaffirm his commitment to spending time with them before Christmas, I guess.
2: Yes, I think that's absolutely fair. And Richard Curtis, very keen on the countdown to Christmas. As we know, Love <laughs> Actually really wanted you to let you know how long it was before Christmas. Uh, yes, I think that's absolutely fair. I think, thinking about it, I think the thing I would have most liked from this is a bit more with him and his daughter, a bit, mm-hmm. so it felt like so the rebuilding of that relationship felt a bit richer. Yeah, because it felt it felt like it came to it quite. It got to it fairly late, and then it wasn't. It wasn't particularly moving. Like you bought her a big doll's house, then realized, you know, a big doll's house is not. It's not love, Helen. That's it's lovely. Very wise. It's lovely, but it's, it's not love. Um, I,
1: di- I did kind of want to play with it myself, though. Like it looked. Oh, me too. It looked yeah. amazing.
2: Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but but you're right. But I think there there is that throwaway line at one point about you know what she really wants from you is an, is an hour of your time, and it did kind of feel like that was all it took. Was yeah, about an hour. You know? Yes, exactly.
2: Yeah, he was. He didn't. He didn't seem to make, go undergo a huge change in order to win them back. And he also had to be told to spend time with her as well by the genie, but at a point where I think he should have learned um, to do it. <laughs> I also got the impression that he and his wife had never met each other before. That scene where he comes where he comes home and gets told off for missing her, his daughter's birthday. The way they spoke, uh, there were things I liked, though. There were things I liked. Mm. I mean, mm. like I said, the central pairing, yes, yes. Alan Cumming as a mean boss, yes, would have liked more, but you know, yeah, what we got, I'm very pleased with. Setting good, I, but it was past that that I, I didn't get a lot from it. I thought yeah. the. Tell me how how you feel about the the direction because I thought there was I, I Samboy did love life, didn't he? And I really enjoyed mm-hmm. that. I thought that was yeah. great. I thought there was an unusual indie quality to this. It felt it looked slightly muddy, and it had a fairly loose sense to it that i thought it gave it gave a mood that i found a bit jarring with what was going on
1: i think loose is, is a good way of putting it it doesn't feel like a film that's rushing yeah. particularly i mean because there's no limit on wishes in this world there's no three wishes so, so he's got to f- you know spend a lot of time planning exactly what those would be that's not part of the challenge at all he can undo wishes all over the place that's fine too so that isn't a limit that isn't a, a, a you know scenario it's not like she's going to evaporate in three days or anything like that there's no there's no time limit on this either he could have her around for the rest of his life just granting wishes all the time um So there's no time pressure and and it is just a bit, especially in the middle, there is a sort of shaggy dog element to it where they're just kind of wandering around. And I think there's an element where he almost gets sidetracked into showing the genie around. And I think a lot of this comes from the original Bernard and the Genie. So for anybody out there who hasn't seen it, and it is, I think, on YouTube actually in its entirety... That has the same setup and some of the same jokes. So it has the bit with the two clips of music. It has the washing the hair in the toilet. Uh, It has a few other bits and pieces like that. Like literally direct sort of lifts. But it has a completely different plot. So Bernard in... Bernard, in the original film, is also an art dealer, also gets unjustly fired by his boss for uh, trying to do the right thing by a bunch of old ladies from whom they are getting their antiques to sell. Mm -hmm. But also the boss is kind of after him because he has a list of other assets that these people might be willing to sell. And the boss is trying to steal that and sort of frames him for 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 things to get that. And in the original, maybe because Richard Curtis was younger and perhaps unattached when he wrote it, I don't know the wife is a girlfriend there is no daughter he bernard just has a girlfriend and she's basically shagging his best friend so so rather than yes so rather than the wife leaving him because he works too hard um his his girlfriend leaves him because she's found somebody better at least in her in her opinion um so it's a like it's a really big plot difference and a really big tone shift and in that case, because Bernard is at a loose end and he has been fired from his job and, and let go by his girlfriend, like he doesn't really have anything better to do than, you know, run around town with the genie. Whereas you feel like this Bernard actually does. Yes. You know? Yeah. So maybe that's why you're getting that sense.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, it's interesting you say that about the original having more of a villain plotline. I guess, I guess a big thing that this was missing was Jeopardy.
1: Mm. So
2: there wasn't there wasn't really anything particularly stopping Bernard from being better, except for Bernard. Um, tell me how you feel about the Mona Lisa plotline, because I found that quite strange.
1: <laughs> that was also in the original, um, okay. and is also how Bernard's boss kind of, I mean, I say frames him, but he doesn't. Like, he he did steal the Mona Lisa, yeah. e- effectively, you know. So, so they did lift that. I think it's a cute idea, you know, you wish for something absurd like that, to show up in your flat, but it has to come from somewhere. It is singular. There aren't a lot of them. So I guess, you know, the, the French are going to be going nuts looking for the Mona Lisa. I'm surprised by how quickly the fire department leapt to the conclusion that this must be the Mona Lisa, a little bit.
2: Yeah, that was... I mean, you'd assume but, a, a nice cheap copy that you'd bought somewhere, wouldn't you?
1: Right? You, w- you would. Um, but, uh, but apart from that, I mean, yeah... It, it just about worked for me. But that is the closest you get to any kind of jeopardy and the closest you get to any sense of a time pressure because they do have to figure this out before being deported, I guess. Um, but that, that's that's about all you get. I, I was I was a little bit worried. So, um, okay, we are going to get into spoilers a bit more uh, here. But I was worried at the end of this film that Bernard, you know, he, he let the genie go and he wished for her freedom. He did the full... Disney's Aladdin mm-hmm. at the end and, and wonderful it was too. Um, but he doesn't, that we see, make any provision for himself going forward, which with all due respect to the genie's freedom, I probably would myself. I would probably wish for, you know, my daughter's college funds. Um, and, I mean, I don't know how much that flat costs, but his wife must be doing exceptionally well for herself <laughs> for anyone working in the art world in any sense to be living in a place like that in New York City. So I would maybe want some money in the bank to get me through potentially a period of unemployment uh, before finding a new job. I would make a couple of wishes before the genie took her leave. And I we don't see that. And, and I get that we don't see that because, you know, Bernard is meant to be a very good and, you know, giving and non-selfish person but at the same time there's being selfish and then there's just you know doing the basics to look after yourself and your family yeah. you know am i yeah. being am i being awful am i being no awful? i don't think I don't you're know.
2: being awful but he does yeah he does end up he does finish the, the film unemployed and wishless doesn't he
1: he does and he has used his remaining three wishes on with respect lovely things but quite frivolous things
2: yes yeah, i the, i did you know. i did quite like i did quite like that. I mean, mm. we're we're getting into extreme spoilers if we're giving away the final the final minutes. <laughs> but i did li- i did like how he how he used them. I thought that was actually one of the best moments of the whole thing. Mm. Yes, that, that, that was nicely done. In the, in the moment, the little things that his daughter wanted were the things that mattered to her most in the world.
1: Mm. Yeah, that was that was nice. And and it's about time that he learned that at the very 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 end of the film can we talk a little bit though about the genie herself Uh, because she does get her own sort of arc in this film she does have a little bit of you know exploration and learning and moving to do
2: yeah which i like i liked that she has i mean it's very similar to the robin williams genie in aladdin that it's kind of i'm not i'm not my own person i'm not allowed to do anything that i want to do and we won't give away what, what it is that she wants to do, but it's quite humble. Um, I like that. It's nice that she had an arc and they it, it did it did actually settle into that reasonably well once they'd been quite manic in the uh, the earlier scenes. It did build her reasonably well, I thought.
1: Mm. I enjoyed the, her learning what she liked and didn't like in, in the, the real world. I enjoyed her experimentation with what she should be wearing, um, mm. what qualified as good in our world. And actually she ended up on something that did reflect herself, her her nature as a genie, I guess, but also kind of, I guess, modern fashion. Um, and then her obsession with Tom Cruise and um, Mission Impossible, I, I find totally charming. I really enjoyed <laughs> I really that. I enjoyed it.
2: Was really hoping he'd show up at some point.
1: I really was too, yeah. That does, you know, put the original apart again. So in Bernard and the Genie, no, in fairness, he gets obsessed with Terminator 2, I think, in that one. So Arnie doesn't turn up or anybody like that. But at one point, I think Bernard wishes to look like Bob, Bob Geldof and Bob Geldof turns up or he wishes that Melvin Bragg were there and suddenly Melvin Bragg is there. You know, there was so sort of this like British level celebrity he's yeah. so turned he up in the was- original
2: people richard curtis knows is basically who she needed to be obsessed with
1: <laughs> people richard curtis knows but but you know i i feel like between sam boyd and richard curtis they still know some people and so some of those cameos yeah. might have been a little bit fun uh, but maybe we don't need them i don't know
2: no it might be nice an obsession with hugh grants so that would have been decent wouldn't it or anna kendrick <laughs> sam boyd knows her
1: exactly um, but
2: yeah yes the t- the tom cruise the tom cruise thing was fun yeah
1: yeah that, that was that was amusing and i i would 100 percent wear that jumper Slightly ironically, but I'd still wear it. Yeah, no question. Yeah, I had some of Tom Cruise's Christmas cake yesterday. Actually, I
2: saw. I saw that you yeah. had some ordered to the uh, Empire, of, not ordered to, delivered to no, the Empire office. To. Um, tell me, what does Tom Cruise's uh, cake taste like? Because it looks. I know it's coconut. It looks like it's heavily covered in parmesan. <laughs>
1: It kind of does. Just So just for anybody out there who, who doesn't know, uh, Empire has already tweeted a bit about this. I'm not giving away secrets here, but um, Tom Cruise sends out these coconut cakes. They're a coconut bundt cake with white chocolate chips um, every year to, I think, hundreds, if not thousands of people, to, to friends, to colleagues, to uh, members of the press, uh, he sent one to to Nick Desemelin, who's the editor of Empire, and also one to the Empire team very generously. And I blatantly went into the Empire office solely so I could get a slice. Um, I did get a little bit last year as well. I have I have tried it before, and it is an exceptionally good cake. So it's a kind of you know white sponge cake. I think they're making it with um, you know the way sometimes in American cake recipes they use a pudding mix in there. I think there might be something like that. It's a really really rich sponge is a bit coconutty, definitely has white chocolate chunks in it. And then it's covered in icing and a thick layer of desiccated coconut. And it is an exceptional cake. Like it's a really great cake.
2: And do we know, sorry, I know technically this has nothing to do with the film. Um, Do we we know who makes them?
1: It comes from bakery. No, I didn't, I don't remember what was on the box, much to my shame, but it is, it is widely known. If you Google Tom Cruise cake... It should come up, and there are even some recipes online. I have tried one of them, which didn't quite have the richness I was looking for, so I'm still trying to like really nail that down. But you can make a at least a decent approximation of it with with some of the recipes online.
2: And do people just do people know when they've gone on the list, or does a cake just suddenly turn up on Christmas?
1: A cake just suddenly <gasps> turns up. Wow. Yes, several. I mean, several. Empire, well, Empire didn't know we were on the list until suddenly one year one of these cakes showed up and and, oh, and everyone exciting. was over the moon frankly yeah so it's it really is like he he rappels in from the ceiling and and drops it in your lap. I assume after this film that you know Melissa McCarthy and company I mean, will be have, on the list for I mean, a film. God, for it cakes. Must, be really,
2: must be really nice to receive those cakes. I, I, I mean, I wonder what a person would have to do to make it clear that they wanted to receive <laughs> one of those cakes. He listens to the podcast, yes. doesn't he?
1: He listens. I'm sure yeah. he's a Bah Humbug yeah. listener. But Tom, if you're listening, please do give us a <laughs> sign. Send us a cake. Our, our address is Bah Humbug Towers, London. Um, <laughs> But yeah, oh God, that would be that would be heaven on earth. but but yeah, seriously, very good cakes. We're, we're slightly off topic, but I did love that joke of her getting obsessed with with Mission Impossible. I'm not sure what it was doing in cinemas at Christmas time. It's clearly a summer film, but okay. Also a different studio. That surprised me. Yeah, that was like unusual, this, is a, right? this is a
2: universal film and Mission Impossible is Paramount. I was surprised that they didn't go for one of their own. She could have been obsessed with the rock. Oh, and um, Fast and Furious. Oh, that would have been good too. He would have done it then <laughs> He would have.
1: I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she's just not ready for cars that fast. You yeah, know. Yeah, that's
2: true. That's true. That's
1: probably, probably a thing. Um, speaking of the genie as well, she does get a little bit of a love story, um, which which I quite enjoyed. So Mark Moron plays Lenny, who's the doorman, and again, if Bernard here is living in the kind of New York apartment that has those rooms that view and a doorman I feel like you know he's been doing pretty okay for himself like somebody in that family is making serious money um but uh but yeah I thought Mark Moran Lenny was was really charming actually he's he doesn't do that many films but I'm always kind of glad to see him somehow
2: yeah, t- I mean, I totally agree. I mean, I don't think he did a huge amount in this. He was it no. was a, a fleeting appearance, but yeah, always always like to see him.
1: Always always good to see, and uh, not just we're not just saying that because he's a podcaster, a much much more successful one, but uh, but just he's got a good energy to him, and it kind of I kind of enjoyed the two of them together. This very laid back doorman and this slightly hyper genie. It kind of felt like a like a match again, a change from the original film. So in the original film. Bernard lives in a sort of one of those one of those former warehouses near Tower Bridge. Mm-hmm. Do you know those ones? I, they, I, big, I sort of
2: know the type of thing you mean.
1: Yeah, know know the type of thing. And uh, improbably, given that they're only four or five stories tall, they have uh, an elevator man or lift man. We would call oh, it wow, in this country. Okay. In the original film, and the, the this lift man uh, kind of doorman type is just fond of telling lies or or told tales the whole time. He's always going, oh, yeah, I found a genie once. Oh, yeah, hmm. I made a million pounds. Oh, I, don't worry about stealing the Mona Lisa. I stole Guernica or something, you know. <laughs> so it's it's all the very, very kind of exaggerated stuff. And and this was a much more dialed back version of the character and I thought much more successful as a result.
2: Yes. I mean, I think, you're, like you talking about these things, I think what this film, this film had loads of good ingredients. I think mm. it had all the all the bones there of something really strong. I think it needed to put some better flesh on those bones, basically. Yeah, like all the just ingredients another couple there of just, passes. just yeah, exactly. All the ingredients there just didn't cook it quite long enough. I think soggy yeah. bottom has had.
1: Oh, see, Tom Cruise's cakes would never.
2: Would never. He wouldn't. He wouldn't allow it.
1: You never would, but look, I I had a good time, but I, I I don't disagree. I think I think there's probably a little bit more zhuzhing that could have been done here quite usefully. Um, but I was interested, and and I'm I'm very glad it led me to watch Bernard and the Genie as well, because mm-hmm. that was also an interesting piece of TV history that I missed at the age of whatever I was at that point, and um and kind of have now caught up on and. It was kind of nice seeing Lenny Henry very much in his prime again. Do you remember that t- that period when he was... Well, obviously, you're a very young man, Oli, you probably don't remember. But he was on everything at one point on British TV. Anything that was worth watching, Lenny Henry was in. Oh, yeah. It felt like, you know, and and it was kind of like good to be reminded of that because he's... he's he's still very funny but he does so much serious acting now he's i mean he's done shakespeare and everything you know it was kind of uh nice to be reminded of how big he was in his heyday
2: oh he's absolute yes and also he's just absolutely hilarious when he's i mean if you talk you talk about uh an over the top performance he's a, he's a, he's a man that even when he's not acting something like if he's just a guest on something if you just stand back he'll just he'll just go he's hilarious i love i love him i think he's wonderful
1: absolutely all right, so we're, you know, positive in a Christmas movie sense, maybe on Genie, but in a wider sense, maybe could have done with a little bit more of a, a zhuzh.
2: Yeah, I think maybe if you are flying around the Christmas period on, on a plane, <laughs> not, on, not under your own steam, then I would say put this on. Or maybe it's a good one to be kind of doing something else to, like wrapping presents making mm. making a delicious coconut cake that kind of thing it's a it's you don't really need to concentrate on it but it's got it's probably got just enough to be pleasantly on in the background which is i imagine exactly what they're aiming for
1: that sounds about right all right and uh, ollie if people are looking for you where can they find you online
2: uh you can find me on ollie richards on uh instagram but only if you want pictures of my walks in the park or pictures of my dog
1: it's a very good dog though
2: it is a very good dog that's he's true he's a very
1: good dog All right. Well, thank you very much and Merry Christmas.
2: My pleasure. Merry Christmas to you too.
1: Well, that's it for this episode of Bar Humbug. Please join us next time for more Christmas movies madness. In the meantime, I've been your host, Helen O'Hara. This podcast is edited by Ben Williams and produced by Kobe Omanaka for Stripped Media. And if you've enjoyed the pod, please do rate us with five shiny Christmas stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. But whatever you do, happy holidays!